Hello and welcome to episode 127 of Cho Squared. I'm your host, Andrew Chelney, and a great conversation heading your way today at Cho Squared and at Chelney Andrew on Twitter, C-H-E-L-N-E-Y Andrew, and at Cho Squared on Facebook. Give the show that shiny and illustrious five-star review on Apple Podcasts. The more reviews, the more likely the show is to get recommended by the algorithm, which nobody can read because they get changed every six minutes. But besides the point, it's important. Please do that. Thank you so much. We're back to being a weekly show, so subscribe now to the best hockey podcast in town. New episode every single Tuesday. Chow Squared is a part of the Hockey Podcast Network, and though I am a full-time associate producer at SiriusXM NBA Radio, this podcast is not affiliated with the podcast with the company in any way. The opinions expressed in this podcast are mine and mine alone, and may or may not reflect the views of SiriusXM. Joining Chella Squared today is a friend of the show. It's been way, 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 way too long since he's been on. You hear him and you read him over at Crash the Pond. Get this, CJ. You were on this show last August 9th, two thousand. And nineteen. <laughs> I mean, that is wow. that is a disgusting stat. Yeah, CJ. I mean, listen. I got to be honest. Like August 9th, man. That's been that's 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 a that's a dirty old stat. But you know what? We're breaking that today because you're back on the show. So you're here now. What's up, man? Welcome back. Thank you so much. I'm, I feel like the Titanic meme. It's been eighty four years since I've last been on here and we always have great conversations and given what has uh, been happening right now and the role that the Ducks are playing, it's a very good time to be on the show. Absolutely. So we have breaking news today. It just broke actually if right before we came on the show, the Anaheim Ducks have officially moved longtime defenseman Josh Manson to the Colorado Avalanche with 50% retained for a second round pick and Boston College defenseman Drew Hellison. CJ, listen, I work in NBA media and this is a podcast about the NHL. I watch and know nothing about college hockey, and I am not ashamed to admit that. I just don't have time for it. Your immediate thoughts on the deal and your thoughts on Drew Hellison. You know what? That's totally fair, and I'm glad we need more people like you who admit when they don't necessarily watch certain leagues or certain others. Um, And I, I, I respect the humbleness of coming out with that, you know, Coming into this, I knew of Drew Hellison. I watched him a little bit, but I wasn't super, super familiar with him. So this trade has spurned me into researching him a lot more, seeing what other people are saying about him. And I have watched a little bit of video as well. And my first gut reaction on this trade is that this is a very fair deal for both Colorado and for Anaheim. Um, there's been a lot of hand-wringing, and you know we're one of them over at Crash Upon Me, uh, Jake Rudolph and Felix Sicard, my co-founders, you know, we were wanting the Ducks to trade Manson last year, maybe even earlier, where he could have gotten more of a return for the Ducks. But there's a very famous quote that I believe uh, it was either Pierre Lebrun or Elliot Friedman who basically said, um, you don't love your wife as much as the Ducks love Josh Manson. And wow. I, you know what? We like Josh Manson. He's a good player. Um, that being said, the Ducks and specifically the former regime with former general manager Bob Murray, if you looked at basically everything, they really, really overrated Josh Manson. This return that the Ducks have gotten for him at the deadline as a pending 
unrestricted free agent, I think is very fair. Colorado gets a solid, basically um, kind of bottom four uh, defender who is responsible for the most part in his own end is a pass first guy out of the zone and who uses his physicality actually fairly effectively. He's not one of these guys who chases hits a lot every once in a while he will, but usually when he does hit and play physical, it's with a purpose. It's to separate the guy from the puck, get the puck going the other way. I think Colorado, especially with Sam Gerard out with them uh, are really going to like him. And Josh Manson is that type of player who is going to perform pretty well in the playoffs. And that's something, that the Colorado Avalanche need. Now, the return that they've gotten, Drew Hellison, has, he was Colorado's second round pick in 2019, and he was playing with Boston College. Boston College's season is over now, so he is eligible to sign, and a lot of us are expecting that he will sign his ELC here within the next couple of days, probably, and may even get a few days in with Anaheim. And Hellison has basically kind of elevated himself into one of uh, Colorado's top defenseman prospects. Uh, You're basically looking at Hellison as a younger version of Josh Manson. Ellison turns 21, I believe in about two weeks. Um, so he's a younger guy, but he's a big dude. He's six foot three. He's a little over 200 pounds. He's got a good physical game. Um, he's probably a little bit of a better skater than Josh Manson. He's got good skating mechanics um, and some good offensive instincts as well. He's basically one of these responsible guys who's rarely ever out of position. So Effectively, the best way to look at the trade is that the Ducks traded Josh Manson for a younger version of Josh Manson. Plus, they added on a second round pick in 2023. So overall, I think that this was a fair deal for both sides and uh, both sides basically get what they want from him. Adding on to the trade deadline discussion for the Ducks, Nick Alberga of SportsNHL.com Fantasy is reporting that Hampus Lindholm and Ricard Raquel could also be traded soon as there are, quote-unquote, no uh, no ongoing negotiations on an extension with either player. Does this, how do, first of all, how does this, does it surprise you anyway? How do you take this news? And also, does this officially mean that the Ducks, if this rumor is true, that these two players will also be traded, is this officially a fire sale for the Anaheim Ducks? I don't know if I would necessarily consider it a fire sale, mostly because fire sale to me means you are stripping everything down from a team and getting rid of everybody. And the Ducks aren't quite doing that. They have several um, unrestricted free agents, obviously. There was uh, Manson, Lindholm, uh, you know, Raquel, obviously. Uh, Nick Delorier is another one kind of in those talks. And those guys were all pretty much expected to be moved. The only way I I would say I am a little bit surprised, but the only reason I'm surprised that all three may move is because for basically the last decade, we have dealt with Bob Murray, who basically has been one of the most risk averse general managers in the NHL. Um, he, he, the only real significant deal, I'd say he made two significant deals during his tenure. And that was over like 12 years of being a general manager, which was trading Bobby Ryan for, um, a package, including Jakob Silverberg to the Ottawa senators, and then acquiring Ryan Kessler. The Bobby Ryan deal was fairly significant. And overall, I think was a solid trade. The Ryan Kessler deal was obviously significant, but he wanted out of Vancouver and he was only willing to accept a trade to like one of two or three teams. And he had all the leverage. So effectively the ducks didn't have to give up all that much for him. And that trade was set up on a T for Bob Murray. Um, so realistically, 
this he was very risk averse and he wasn't willing to deal with a lot of them and again back to that quote of you don't love josh manson as much as you love you uh or you don't love your wife as much as the ducks love josh manson it just showed how risk averse that uh bob murray was so we've got the new general manager pat verbeek who clearly is not playing around with this and for so long you know i think if murray was still in charge here we would have expected an extension to get done with at least one or two of them um so the fact that verbeek is coming in here and it looks like all three of the major unrestricted free agents are going to be dealt with that's something not something that ducks fans are used to but it's something that this franchise definitely definitely needs well what other pieces are the ducks potentially looking to move on from and are they looking for anybody or anything in particular obviously when you have big players big time players like raquel and like lindholm and like manson you want decent return uh, you know, in any trade you want, you want good return. But these these names are cornerstone pieces of the Anaheim Ducks. They've been with the Ducks for a long time. And now rumors are that, you know, two of them are, could be on their way out. And Josh Manson is on his way out uh, officially today. With, with, so, with so many names being thrown around here, are, are you hearing anybody in particular the Ducks are looking into? Maybe they're scouting a particular team multiple times because we know, especially at this, time of, at, at this time of year, we see the tweets, right? When at this game you have scouts from 18 different teams and everybody quote tweets them with like, oh, there's going to be a trade tomorrow. But realistically... Are there kind of trade partners that you've kind of nailed down here? Are the Ducks looking for anybody in particular? What are you hearing out there? So we're, we've heard a few things. It's a little bit difficult to get a full handle on it. The Ducks have been linked to um, most recently uh, Dominic Kubelik uh, out of Chicago. Um, I'm not entirely sure if that would happen because Kubelik would be more of a uh, sort of a reclamation project. And I'm not entirely sure if the Ducks should go for him because Kubelik's numbers are almost entirely like on ice shooting percentage driven. There isn't a whole lot to like with his underlying number. Um, so I'm not entirely sure. It, I mean, if Kubelik was moved, it would be for, you know, probably a later round draft pick or something like that. Um, but the thing to remember here, too, is that Pat Verbeek was formerly assistant general manager in Tampa and with Detroit. He is basically um, Stevie Eiserman's protege. So a lot of what we can expect Verbeek to do, you can think of uh, following the Stevie Y playbook. And the Stevie Y playbook is one that um, has proven to work pretty well um, wherever he has gone so far. Um, But he is number one. Verbeek has stated that they want picks. They are looking for picks. And this is actually a marked change from what Bob Murray said. Bob Murray came out and basically said he didn't really want picks. He wanted young, ready to go NHL defenseman with a bunch of high upside. And Verbeek could be looking at that. Like for instance, Hellison is nearly NHL ready. He may get some NHL, um, experience coming up here before this end of the season, but he also got, and that second round pick that he got for Hellison was a 2023 pick, not a 2022 pick, which I think is very important because that means Verbeek is focusing on long-term prospect pipeline health. So he's not necessarily looking to shortcut the rebuild. He wants to speed up the rebuild, but he doesn't want to shortcut it. And those are two different things. And so building a healthy prospect pipeline is part of that. So number one, he's going to be looking for picks. I'm sure with Raquel and especially with Lindholm, he's going to want first round picks. Absolutely. Um, The Ducks did check in on DeBrusque earlier this year. Um, I'm not sure if DeBrusque's 
age and timeline really fit with the Ducks. He is a little bit older. He's a great player. I would love to brust, but he is a little bit older and the Ducks obviously are going to be going a lot younger. Um, I know that the, um, I think the Hurricanes checked in on Josh Manson. I would not be surprised if they're really, you know, knocking on the door on Lindholm. Same with Toronto on Lindholm. And I think Lindholm is a really, really good fit for Toronto. Um, it's just going to be a matter of, who is Toronto willing to give up? There's been a lot of public posturing about with Kyle Dubas saying that he's not willing to give up Nick Robertson. Um, the first is a little up in the air for them right now. Um, so it really is going to depend. And the things that we are hearing from NHL GMs is that the internal uh, puck and player tracking data that the NHL started last year isn't publicly available, but is inside here. Apparently that data has painted Hampus Lindholm as an elite shutdown defenseman and easily the top um, defenseman on the trade deadline board as far as those numbers go. So Verbeek is probably looking for a high price for Lindholm, and there's a good chance that he is going to get it. Um, you, I mean, Dubas and Toronto being analytically inclined, you know that they know this as well. And so I'm sure they are looking at their stuff as well. We've also heard that Boston and Florida have also checked in. I know Florida loves Hampus Lindholm. Um, so we will see what happens, but there are definitely some um, good players. And Boston has also checked in on Raquel. I know Boston likes Raquel a lot. So that's kind of what we've been hearing so far. Well, let me ask you this really quickly because I'm I will be at Madison Square Garden tomorrow for Rangers at Ducks. Maybe some scouts for uh, for the Rangers. Very well could be. Um, I would not be surprised if they do. I know New York has been uh, looked at as a trading partner. Obviously, um, <laughs> you know as well as anybody that. Um, the Rangers five on five numbers are not great. And no. that uh, Shesterkin is, is basically propping them up at this point. And believe me, as a Ducks fan who has watched John Gibson prop this team up, I know that feeling extremely well. Um, so I could definitely see it. And uh, I would be surprised if there wasn't a duck scout at that game. So we will have to see kind of what would happen. I know that Hampus Lindholm is a guy who would provide an immediate shot in the arm at five on five. Um, he is a five on five wizard usually throughout his career, and he would make a massive impact on the blue line in New York. So that could be a good fit. Talking to CJ Woodling, you can hear him and you can read him at Crash the Pond and at CrashThePond.com. CJ, I have a question for you about Josh Gibson. You just mentioned him. So he's signed for another five seasons, right? His underlying metrics via JFresh Hockey have him listed as a mid-tier goaltender. Hockey reference for this season has him saving negative 3.4 goals above, uh, against average. CJ, how has Gibson look to you and is goaltending a concern and is John Gibson a concern for the Anaheim Ducks? I think so. Here's, here's the first part. John Gibson has been straight awful since the trade deadline. There is no sugarcoating it whatsoever. Um, now keep in mind that since is last trade deadline or this trade deadline um, before, or sorry, sorry, before the all-star break, I oh, apologize, okay, gotcha, not gotcha. trade deadline, all-star break. So John Gibson has not been good whatsoever. He went on a hell of a run for about month, month and a half or so prior to the all-star break that put him up into like the top 
five uh, goaltenders as far as uh, goals saved above expected and a bunch of other metrics went. Um, you know, certainly not quite Shesterkin level because he's been running away with it, but he he kind of re-entered after kind of an average, mediocre season. He went on this huge run, and then since the All-Star break, he has been absolutely abysmal. Um, and it really does suck. Now, that's only about a three, four-week span of him being miserable versus several years of solid results. The last two or three years, he hasn't been that great. He's been probably average for the last couple of years um, since he was essentially carrying the ducks through like 2018 or 2019 or so. Um, And realistically, I'm, I think a few of us are starting to be a little bit worried. I don't think it's time to hit the panic button. I'm not thinking that it's necessarily time for the ducks to start aggressively shopping John Gibson. Um, but there is some concern. Obviously, this level of play is uh, certainly to be concerned. And I think the big thing, um, you know, one of our former writers at Anaheim Calling I talked with had a very good thing to think about with John Gibson and he because he's a sports science major. So this is important that John Gibson hasn't really had much in the injury department over the last few seasons. His early career was marked by a ton of groin issues, a ton of hip issues um, that were really soft muscle tissue issues. And a lot of that was from lack of conditioning on his part. And the rumor is that Ryan Miller, when the Ducks signed Ryan Miller to be their backup goalie, he Ryan Miller like installed a lot of really good habits into John Gibson, and he hasn't been injured nearly as much since then, which has been great. The problem is, is that this is soft tissue damage. And soft tissue damage, as many people know, has long-term consequences and long-term effects. And between those soft tissue issues that he had earlier on in his career, plus his insane workload that he's had over the last several years, he has started so many games and he's been under fire facing so many shots in front of an awful defense for so long um, that a lot of us are starting to wonder, is his body starting to break down? He is a guy who has never been the most positionally sound goalie, but one of the reasons why he's been so good is because he is so athletic and he may not be able to rely on some of that athletic ability to make some of the saves that he could, uh, before he's let up a lot of easy goals recently. So his lack of positioning, um, uh, skill has come into play here. Um, he started the last game, I believe in New Jersey on Sunday and he looked okay. He had a bad goal that he gave up, but overall he looked much better than before. So realistically there is maybe some warning bells going off, but it's not entirely panic mode, I would say yet, especially with the ducks kind of in cell mode right now and still in that rebuild mode. Now, what I will say, and I will follow up is that I don't think the ducks are really in a position to panic about goaltending long-term because they have Gibson's heir apparent right now playing in San Diego. His name is Lucas Dostal. He played in uh, Finland's uh, top league against men as a 19 and 20 year old last season and the year before. And he killed it. He was one of the best goaltenders in the Finnish top league playing against men. Um, and everywhere he's gone, he has won and he has performed outstanding and he's playing great right now in San Diego. Dosto got a couple uh, game stint when um, I believe uh, Stolarz or Gibson, Gibson was injured earlier this season. So he's already had his NHL debut. I want to see a little bit more um, from Dosto, maybe bring him up for a couple more starts to finish the year. Um, but they do have a really, really good goaltender in Lucas Dosto coming up soon. So depending on what he does and if he performs well, like the ducks expect, 
then maybe we could be talking a lot more about Gibson at the deadline next year. We'll just have to wait and see what happens. Wow. Okay. Well, well, leading into this, and you mentioned this a second ago, and I'm going to circle back to this. How does the future of the Anaheim Ducks look to you, CJ? How are the prospect cupboards filled, in your opinion right now, in which direction do you think this franchise is heading in? Because if you're trading, you know, you you just traded Josh Manson, you have other couple pieces that we mentioned a second ago here that could also be dealt. Maybe you even move Gibson away. I would imagine that if the cupboards aren't already filled, they probably will be sooner rather than later, right? Yeah, um, I am very, very happy with where the Ducks prospect system is at, and it could stand to get even better uh, coming this draft. Now, what's interesting is that uh, Drysdale, Jamie Drysdale and Trevor Zegers both graduated from prospect status to full-time NHLers this year. But if you do throw them into the prospect mix, since they are such fresh graduates, you could maybe cheat a little bit and include them. This Ducks prospect system is arguably the best in the NHL, right up there with the Kings, who I would currently rank as the, the Kings, in my opinion, have the best prospect system in the NHL right now. Um, but a lot of that was due to specifically this last draft that the Ducks had. This last draft was one of the best drafts, I think, in Ducks history. Um, and obviously, we need to see kind of what happens. The prospects aren't for sure uh, going to pan out. Prospects are notoriously difficult to project. But this last draft, headed by Martin Madden, who's the director of amateur and pro scouting for the Ducks, was incredible. They picked up Mason McTavish at third overall. And he was a little bit of a question mark, but basically everywhere he's played from the world juniors before it was canceled to um, his current team, the Petersburg Peets in the OHL, he is dominant. I mean, everywhere he goes, he's got a wicked shot and he is basically just running circles around everyone that he is playing right now. So Mason McTavish, that would be an incredible um, second or third line center for the Ducks um, when they've got going with Zegers at the top here. Uh, they've got Lundestrom, a few other uh, good centers coming up. So Mason McTavish, Sasha Pastajov, who, if you know Arthur Kaliev, remember when Arthur Kaliev was drafted by the LA Kings? They said, like, hey, he's got an incredible shot. He's got these great offensive instincts, but the compete is a little bit weird. His skating's a little bit weird. He's got a lot of risks. Pastajov is like almost exactly the same as what Kaliev was. And Pastajov so far has been killing it with his junior team. Um, right now. So Pastajov has been amazing. And then maybe the biggest steal of this last draft for the Ducks is a young defenseman by the name of Olin Zellweger. And Olin Zellweger right now is on pace to basically, uh, I believe he's on pace to break the WHL uh, um, scoring record right oh, now wow. for defensemen. Um, he is a little bit smaller. He's like 5'10", but there are a lot of scouts. And from what I've seen from a few people who have seen him watch play is they say he's he may be one of the best skaters that they've ever seen in the WHL. Um, and somehow the Ducks got him in the second round. Um, and Zellweger is just, he's incredible. He's putting up one of the best seasons of any junior prospect of the last 20 years for a defenseman. Um, this is a kid who will probably be in the NHL sooner rather than later and very likely could make a huge impact coming up. So, um, the ducks, and then they also have Jacob Peru as well, who again, very, uh, like, um, He's only 19 years old. He's playing in San Diego. Um, very like Pasajov and Arthur Kaliev as well. Just an incredible shot. Um, a dude who has a ton of talent and has been doing well in San Diego. So the Ducks prospect cupboard looks really, really, really good. Um, and again, stands to get even better 
uh, come this draft. You know, it doesn't really quickly, like as an aside, it doesn't surprise me at all that you that you deem the, the biggest steal in the draft, who is a fantastic skater and a fantastic player, as five foot ten, right? Because you because mm-hmm. you know, and I know, and hockey fans that have been around, you know, for for a while and that know how the draft works, we all know. That if this dude was like six three, he would have been picked in the top ten. But because, oh, but because he's not tall, you know, because for for some reason, even though we have so much more data and because we have so much more tape and we have all these things, but for some reason, if he if he's not if a player isn't tall, they some players get overlooked. Yeah. Still, and it, it like it the this was the thought process. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you would think at a certain point, he tall is not a reason to draft somebody. Is he good at hockey? Should be the number one reason to draft somebody. Him being tall doesn't mean he's good at hockey. I feel like <laughs> I'm losing my mind, CJ, when I see when I say these things because they sound so ridiculous. Like, of course, right? You want to draft yep. the best players that are available to you at the draft. He tall doesn't mean he's a good hockey player. I mean, CJ, like, am I, am I crazy? You are preaching to the choir here. You are absolutely preaching to the choir. 100% agree with you. The thing with Zellweger, and I think the reason why he dropped a second overall, number one, the size, the size took him out of a lot of the size, the size issue with Zellweger kind of already shaped how a lot of people, it, it, it did. I don't think it, eliminated him from a lot of GMs, but it immediately reframed the conversation into something less than what he should have been. Um, and then the other thing too, is that some of Zelliger's primary, like D minus two D minus one years happened during shortened seasons. And his first tip, uh, his first trip with his WHL team, the Everett silver tips, his first full season, he only had 12 points in 58 games. So he didn't really have a whole lot of production. And then, um, during the very short, only 11 game stint, uh, last season during the COVID shortened season, he had 13 points in 11 games, which was pretty good, but there wasn't a whole lot of numbers and traditional stats really to back up his, um, you know, kind of his true talent. And, but if you looked at him, especially since last season, you know, it was clear that he was really good and he had these great skill sets. He was a great skater. He had great instincts. Um, and I think that Zellweger is a perfect example of number one, the whole size argument, not really being that valid as far as drafting goes, but number two, how much the COVID pandemic really messed with evaluation. I am a firm believer that if we didn't have COVID and that we had a full WHL season last year, Zellweger probably would have gone in the first round much higher up because he would have had more of a showcase, more eyes on him, more of a chance to show what he was made of. And that didn't happen. And the Ducks, I think, were able to take advantage of that. And as of right now, Zelliger has played 44 games. He's got 59 points, 12 goals, and 47 assists. Um, he's projected for almost 80 points in a 57-game season. So, And I know as well that from some places that track like junior underlying analytics, his analytics are absolutely stellar. Um, so it, it, it's one of those situations where I think a combination of both size and the COVID pandemic limited scouting created this opportunity for the Ducks to take him. And so far, it has been paying off big time. Yeah, but CJ, he's not six four. He he doesn't have that hashtag Garbage. grit. He does. Garbage. He, he can't hit anybody. Of course. <laughs> Why would you draft him? I kid, but also if you read some of the tweets that you know 
people get when when you mention these things. It's like, dude, I don't know what kind of fantasy land you live in, but if you're not six four, you can still hit people. I, I, I rest my case. Anyway, like back to the Anaheim Ducks. The Ducks right now. We have a couple of more questions for you, CJ. Before I let you go, again, really appreciate your time today. The mm-hmm. Ducks right now said four points out of a playoff spot with the way the Golden Knights are falling. The Ducks could maybe surpass them in points soon. Let's say the Ducks are mild sellers at the deadline and they somehow sneak into the playoffs anyway. Could you envision a scenario in which the Ducks could maybe do some damage if they get in? Absolutely not. <laughs> I know this is a total I know this is a total thought exercise. I like thought exercises and I actually do like this thought exercise. It's a good one. Um and something the other day the Ducks were one of the national ESPN games, uh ESPN Plus games with the Nashville Predators and Brian Boucher who by the way is is probably one of my favorite color guys right now um in the NHL. I just I he's so well informed. He's extremely thoughtful. He's a modern uh commentator. Like him a lot. And I think he proved that with talking, uh, they, you know, they on the broadcast during this game talked about effectively this very thought experiment where Boucher was basically saying, you got to trade all these pending UFAs. You got to think about the future. You got to do all this. And the, I forget who the play-by-play was, but the play-by-play kind of played devil's advocate. He didn't actually believe it. He was like, I agree with you, Boucher. They should sell, but I'm going to play devil's advocate and say, they're not that far out of a playoff spot. Vegas is faltering a bit, you know, maybe they hang on to one or two of these guys and they go and make a run. What would you say to that? And Boucher still said, no, he goes, you still need to think of the long term. You need to be thinking five, 10 years out, not just this year. The Ducks are in a unique position to sell off these very good UFAs and get a lot for them coming back. Right. And he goes, let's say hypothetically they sneak into the playoffs in like the eight seed in the West. Right. At that point, they're probably playing the Colorado avalanche. Raise your hand. If you think the ducks stand a chance against the Colorado avalanche. <laughs> no. And if your hand is up right now, put it down. You are a liar. <laughs> <All right? laughs> um, and, and basically it, it's, it's one of these situations where look, even if they make it, they get steamrolled. Maybe they surprise and pull off this huge upset in the first round and then they just get steamrolled again in the second round like this is this is it would be asinine and it would be damage the future of the franchise to hang on to any one of these ufas and to try and make a run to the playoffs when you know that there's a 99.9 percent chance that they are going to get blown out at some point within the first two rounds so as much look let's put it this way i would not mind if the ducks somehow went on a little run if they sold off all their free agents and somehow went on a little run to the first round of the playoffs i would not mind that at all even if they get blown out because at this point with the new draft rules in place to where they can't move up any more than 10 slots and even then them moving up 10 slots is is a statistical like non-factor um you know i i wouldn't mind that at all they the the draft picking isn't going to be much different between picking at like you know 12 or 13 and then picking at like 20, right? There's just not going to be a whole lot of difference in the value of your picks at that point. Um, so right now, the main thing that the ducks need to focus on is selling what free agents they have. And for Pat Verbeek to get whatever he can for them to set this team up for the future. And this team, you know, Pat Verbeek said that he wants to speed up the rebuild. 
Um, but again, not shortcut it. I think speeding up the rebuilding and shortcutting the rebuild are two completely different things. And these with the speeding up, he kind of proved that by getting Drew Hellison, a guy who is just about ready to make the NHL, but he also got a next year's second round pick. So we could see first round picks maybe of 2023. We may see a first round pick in 2022 coming through here, but really it's about making sure that the ducks have a healthy prospect pipeline, not just for the next two, three years, but five, six, seven years down the road. Um, and that is really what they should be focusing on. And so far, based on the early returns of the Josh Manson trade, that's exactly what Pat Verbeek is trying to, to do with about a week left in the trade deadline. One more for you, CJ, before I let you run. Talk to me about Max Comtois. Because in the World Juniors a few years ago, he looked like he could dominate the NHL. Even last season, he had flashes of success. He had 33 points in 55 games. And it looked like he was figuring out his style of play. This season, though, has kind of been the total opposite. Two goals, nine points in 36 games. Hasn't looked at all like he did last season. What's up with Comtois, and are you concerned about him? Comtois has been... The com let's put it this way, Comtois himself has been a little bit frustrating for us, but realistically the context around Comtois is what most of us are really upset with. Um, the There was reports that Comtois came into this season a little bit out of shape and not particularly well-conditioned, um, which that's certainly on him. That's certainly worth criticizing him for. If you're an NHL player, especially at his age, you need to come into camp ready. If you're not, that's on you. That being said, if you look at a lot of Comtois' underlying numbers, um, they are a little bit off of what he was last year when he scored, what was, I think, 17 goals last season um, when he was the Ducks' leading goal scorer. And um, they're a little bit down from that, but not by much. They're only down by like it's like 10% or something like that in terms of like his shot attempt chances, his expected goals, things like that. The biggest difference this season with Comtois is going to be his shooting percentage. Last year, he shot at 17%. Obviously not particularly sustainable, especially for somebody like him. It's rare that anybody gets shooting percentages up that high. That was always going to come down. But Comtois' shooting percentage now is down to like below 4%. So right there, it's a shooting percentage-driven thing more than anything else. And you can see, if you've watched him play, he's been snake-bitten so damn hard yesterday he rang one off the post he's he's hit more posts than i think i've seen from a player in a long time play for the ducks um but the bigger issue i think is that he has been punished by dallas eakins so so hard for basically getting unlucky um he comtois spent most of this season effectively in the bottom six he's played alongside lundestrom who lundestrom has not had good underlying numbers he's having a career year i love it i think he's going to be fine long term but lundestrom is shooting like 20 percent right now and all of his underlying numbers are kind of garbage um and he's also played on the fourth line and then uh basically around the trade deadline he was getting scratched a ton and it was like okay if you were scratching him for like one or two games to get him back on his rhythm or to like let him reset that that's one thing, but consistently healthy scratching him and not giving him any chance to rebuild himself. That's just stupid. And that's one of the reasons why there have been, there was some, when the ducks were in the playoff picture, um, like firmly in the playoff picture, a lot of people were saying Dallas Aiken should get 
um, Jack Adams consideration. And like all of us at Crash the Pond were like, absolutely not. This team is mostly winning in spite of Eakins rather than because of him. The Comtois situation being one of them. Um, I could talk for another 30 minutes to an hour on his handling of Trevor Zegers, but that's beside the point. Um, so basically, he just hasn't gotten a fair shake. Luckily, the last couple of games, Comtois has been playing in the top six, mostly due to injuries. Eakins has basically for- been forced to play him in the top six. He's looked much better as of late. He's still snake bit. Like I said, uh, last game, he rang one off the post. Um, he's had a lot of really good chances and he's looking like a lot more of his old self again. Um, but he's a guy right now who has very low value because of that. And I don't, I know some people have advocated for trading for him. I don't think so because of his low value. I want his shooting percentage to get back up. I want to see what he can do. Cause I still think he's a good middle six option and depth score for them in the future. But he's basically got to be given a fair shake to have his numbers come back up. Hopefully he can stay in the top six moving forward. We'll see tonight. I haven't seen, um, the lineups for tonight yet, but, um, or tomorrow they're playing tomorrow. Sorry about that. But <laughs> I think he, I, you know what? I think I called, I think I called Gibson, Josh Gibson, because I couldn't, I confused I it with Josh did. Manson earlier in the show. So, you know what? Like, we get it. You know, it's, we're both, so tired. We're, we're both, we're, I don't, I forgot what day it was today. You know what? It's been, it's been a day. It's fine. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing with Max Comtois is that like, there's been a little bit of a less production out of him, but, the numbers one and two reasons why he has fallen off is number one shooting percentage and number two coaching, not giving him a fair shake to shake off the rest. I did say that 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 was my last question, but I do have one more if you have another second here, because you mentioned Dallas Eakins and I wanted to ask you about him because he's been behind the ducks code uh, behind the ducks bench here for a couple of years now. What kind of grade, really quickly here, would you give Dallas Eakins as head coach of the Anaheim Ducks? Because the, you know there are definitely some some things that he's brought to the table that has benefited the Ducks. But as you mentioned, him healthy scratching Max Comtois probably doesn't help his case here. Yeah, I would at this point, if the season ended today, I'm going to give uh, Dallas Eakins a, a solid C. Um, and realistically, I think that there, there's a couple things at play here. So the positives that he's brought to the team. Number one, he has given Trevor Zegers and a few other players the freedom to be creative. He has been publicly saying that he loves Zegers trying the Michigan, trying all the insane things, even if they don't necessarily work. And we love that. Like Zegers is the type of player that you need to do that. He's so creative and you don't need to limit him. <laughs> John Tortorella, cough. that's right we all know right yeah we we all know about that right yeah Um, so i will give i will give eakins credit for doing that i will also give eakins credit for really being a great communicator by all reports that we have players genuinely really like playing for him um he's a great communicator that's why he was brought in the first place bob murray said that that was one of the main reasons eakins was hired was that he was a great communicator with young kids and we've seen that all over the place they really like playing for him Those are some great things that he's done now um, where things are going to be falling short. Number one uh, is it's basically his lineup uh, deployment and construction. So number one, you heard me talk about Max Comtois playing a ton in the bottom six this year and getting scratched. That just goes to show me that, look, I'm not entirely sure how much he understands shooting percentage driven um, numbers, performance, things around that case. The big thing though, and if you followed us, on social media throughout the year, you will know that we have been railing against his use of the bottom six, specifically the fourth line and specifically players like Nick Delorier and Derek Grant. 
and Isaac Lundestrom for that reason. He has put them into, he basically considers them great defensive players. And the reality is they're not. They are awful defensively. And we have people come to us and say like, oh, it's just because they're playing against top competition. That doesn't matter. If you're playing against top competition and you're getting run over every night and outscored and outshot, guess what? You're not doing your job. Nobody's expecting you to dominate, you know, these top lines. But if you're not at least somewhat mitigating these great numbers that they're putting up against you, then guess what? You're not good at defense. And they, he continues to trot them out in defensive situations. The Ducks have lost or unnecessarily gone to overtime so many times this season because in the final five minutes to either defend a lead or just try and get to overtime, he has uh, effectively benched Trevor Zegers, uh, Ricard Raquel, um, Sonny Milano, these kind of high um, event, high offense guys. He's effectively benched them after one or two mistakes or late in games and has put out Derek Grant, Isaac Lundestrom, Nick Delorier, all these players, and they just get run over and they either unnecessarily go to overtime after carrying play or they lose in the final minute. And they've lost the game so many times in the final minute before. Um, and we've talked about this too. And I genuinely think the reason for this is because Dallas Aikens has a weird view of effort and like compete. If you watch Nick Delory and Derek Grant and these players, effort is not an issue with them. They have great motors. They're giving it their all every single shift. The problem is, is that they are putting effort into the wrong places. Grant is constantly out of position. Deloria is constantly taking himself out by, by going for big hits. Um, Lundestrom has just had a bunch of inexperience with his positioning and not being in the, necessarily the right place and getting worked over by some bigger guys to an extent as well. Um, and I think that Aikens views hard, gritty effort as equivalent to defense when in reality, there's a difference between having good, hard effort and physical play in terms of separating somebody from the puck, creating turnovers, driving play the other way, and just blocking shots and working hard, but taking yourself out of the play for a hit. That to me is the only logical explanation for what's been going on here and why he continues to insist on playing these players who clearly haven't worked for years out in these defensive situations. And so I can tell you that coaching has definitely lost this team um, games, whether it's through benching Trevor Zegers after making one or two mistakes to putting these guys who get run over out into tight, um, you know, high leverage game situations. Um, so that's really where his biggest drawbacks are going to be. But with the Ducks doing way better, like even if they finish the, uh, you know, right in the middle of the pack this year, not in the playoffs, but not at the bottom. The fact that they're not in the bottom three right now is kind of a miracle from where they were preseason. And so for that, you do have to give them some credit. I think the best way to highlight the 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 great versus effort thing, right? Is that if you sign me to an NHL contract, right? I am a UFA, so hey, if you need a player, <laughs> let me know. But I am not an NHL player, so clearly, right? Like I I'm not I'm not mm-hmm. an NHL level player. But if you sign me, I'll give you effort. Oh, I'll try. But will I be any good if I like have to catch Sidney Crosby skating down the ice? No. Like that's that's the the biggest thing that I can highlight here, right? Is that like, you can try, but ultimately, if you're just not good enough, like you're not, you're not good enough. And and giving like more effort is just like, if, if your talent level just isn't there to do the things that you're meant to be doing out there, I cannot catch Sidney Crosby on the ice, no matter how hard I try, 
right? Like there's yeah. just there's just going to be that line of he is simply better than me. It's not happening. And for yeah. the Ducks, if your bottom six cannot provide good defense and they can't provide you depth scoring from time to time and just be that lockdown, shutdown forward group that you need in order to have long success, maybe get a different bottom six. Like no matter how much they try, if ultimately if try, try again and they don't succeed, maybe don't stick to the same thing. But CJ, you're outstanding. I mean, you know this, I listen to you. I read your stuff all the time and I love having you on. And, and listen, I know the last time you were on was in the 19th century, but uh, <laughs> you will be on sooner rather than that next time. I promise you, uh, you are CJ Woodling on Twitter. If you're not following CJ on Twitter, you doing, you doing, because he has great content. You can also follow his podcast and his articles on at crash the pod at crash the CJ. You're incredible. Thank you so much, Andrew. You are awesome as always. Love these conversations. I appreciate you having me on in such a busy time. Absolutely. And uh, and as for me, at Chell Squared and at Chelney Andrew, C-H-E-L-N-E-Y Andrew on Twitter, at Chell Squared on Facebook. Give the show that before you go, before you go, it's very important. I am, and I appreciate you still listening to the show. Five star review on our podcast. It really, I mean, listen, the algorithm changes it shape shifts it give it creates new languages i mean there are things about this algorithm that nobody understands it is very important to the algorithm and for me also that you give the show a five-star review it really helps me out it shows more people the podcast if you if you review it and give the ratings and all of that very important to me thank you so much I'm your host, Andrew Chelney. Thanks for listening. Chell Squared is back. We are back every single Tuesday. So subscribe and you will get new episodes every single week. I'll talk to you then.